0: writing the gospel. As Saul has come down, I think that Peter's eyes have been opened a little bit. He's made it up to Samaria after there were some that were saved there, but he's obviously made it back down to Jerusalem because that's where he met, met up with Saul. But now we see that he's kind of venturing out again. So I, I feel kind of proud of Peter. Like, good job, Peter. He's, get, he's getting out there now. He's right. He's left Jerusalem. Lydda, right, is what it said. So he's headed up this way, up this road right here, and he's in Lydda. Okay, so he's kind of stretching out he's headed towards the sea the mediterranean sea there's christians there one of them's named as aeneas he's been bedridden for eight years paralyzed and before i just i don't want to skim over aeneas think about that for a second bedridden eight years not eight months eight years bedridden that would be hard wouldn't it be challenging So, Peter finds this guy. In verse 34, it says, And Peter said to him, Nias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. As a dad, I want to emphasize the make your bed part, even though I hate making my own bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Let me go back to the map for a second. I'm going to talk about Sharon. It's talking about this. This is called the plain of Sharon. So this whole area right here going up along the coast. And so because of this event, and it's important to keep this in mind as we go through here, because of this event, this healing of this paralyzed man, the, the gospel spreads. Notice he also said, Jesus Christ heals you. Not I do. Jesus does. Jesus heals you. It's not really Peter, it's Christ. The response here is one of belief. The The gospel is being spread. The news is being spread. It's important to keep this in mind when we understand the miracles in the book of Acts. We're going to see them begin to taper off a little bit. It's important to understand. And it's also important to understand that the emphasis, the reason, the purpose is about validating and spreading the gospel. And so this isn't happening all the time, but when it does happen, the purpose is for a spread of the gospel. And that's exactly what we see here. I want you to keep in mind as well, and I don't have a slide for this, but I want you to keep this phrase in mind, so those of you that are my note-takers, you might want to write this down. The power of Christ, or you could say the gospel, defeats disease, right? We knew this already. Gospel, the power of Christ defeats disease. It has that ability. Ultimately, we know it will defeat all of it, won't it? When we go to heaven, is there going to be any more sick people up there? absolutely not and so the kingdom of heaven is breaking into today that's what these miracles are about they're breaking in today showing christ's power over all things and it's going to start and there's going to be a progression here in fact i'm going to tell you right now a little insight when i started studying this particular section i was at a complete loss as to what the connecting idea was here and i'm going to connect it and i'm going to do in a very pastorly way all the things are going to start with the letter d isn't that great so here we have Christ defeats first, he defeats disease. And so here's this guy physically, and so I'm saying disease as to refer to all physical ailments. Christ can defeat that stuff. And he's going to eventually completely. But right now it kind of breaks through a little bit to show his power over these things. You don't see miracles happening just because somebody really wants it really bad. You don't see miracles happening just because people are in a tough spot and they really need it or they just believe so hard that it's got to happen. You see it happening for the purpose of the expansion of the kingdom. Keep that in mind. Now, let's continue on this story. Come on, click, click. I'm not clicking. There we go. There was in Joppa, I'll show you a map again in just a second, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated, unfortunately, for the English language, means Dorcas, I think my wife has called me that before. Um, the name Tabitha and the name Dorcas both uh, are just, one's a Greek, one's Hebrew, means gazelle. That's her name just meant gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. First, let's figure out where this is at. So now, Peter, good job, Peter. Uh, Lita, notice Joppa all the way over here on the sea the coast. So he's headed out in this direction. Okay, and somebody from Joppa hears that Peter is here. They don't even put her in a tomb. They just lay her down in an upper room. They heard about Peter. Since Little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please, come to us without delay. He's already dead. Peter's reputation has preceded him, who he's known for. He's known for being someone who is working for Jesus. So Peter rose, went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So picture this, though, for a second. Once again, I don't want to skim over her story. This lady has been full of good works her life. And so these people, when Peter shows up, yeah, and I can just picture this being something that happens today. Somebody in our church has done tons of things and just helped and helped. And so when, the, when Peter shows up, what are they doing? They're like, look at these things that she's made. She's such a, I mean, And, and to, to many of these people, maybe it was a blanket, maybe it was some, something else that she's made, and they're showing it to Peter, and maybe this particular item has great importance to them. When I was in need... She brought me this right when I was in the, and somebody else along the way as Peter's walking into the house <coughs> Peter my worst hour she brought she just showed up with this and this is what she's been doing almost to try to convince Peter she's worth it I can get that I don't think that plays into necessarily what's going to happen but I, I get that can you get that somebody there's some people you go. And it just isn't right. This person needs to be with us. She's such a great benefit to all of us. They're mourning. You picture their eyes full of tears as they're showing the thing. Maybe there's even other things hanging around. This is what she's done. But Peter, with them all outside. This reminds me a little bit of a story in the Old Testament of Elisha there was a widow and a son. Very, very similar. And it would have reminded all these people of this story. Peter puts them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Once again, not himself. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. and gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her life. Amazing. We talk about others being raised from the dead. Peter was involved in America where someone got up from the dead. The power of Christ, you note-takers. The power of Christ, gospel, Jesus. He not only defeats disease, he goes that further step and defeats death. Death can't stand up against Jesus. This is not to mean that if you become a Christian, you never have to face death. Obviously so. But but this is a breaking through of the kingdom. So the kingdom is is seeping out, and it seeps out a little bit here and there, especially in this time to validate that this is the real thing. As we get on through the New Testament, Paul talks many times about those who have fallen asleep. So so being a Christian doesn't mean he's going to stop this every single time. Sometimes it breaks through. I can't help but think, and I think that these people couldn't have helped but thought, what a better person for this to happen to. Lord, we know you want her up there, but man, we could use her for a little while longer down here. And in God's wisdom, he does this. But I think once again, the purpose, right? The purpose Tabitha, arise. She's sent out. Purpose is for the spreading of the gospel. In fact, we see this in the very next verse. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one named Simon, a tanner. Notice again the consequence of the miracle. Belief. Spreading of the gospel. We know that Peter's headed out a certain direction. The gospel has power to defeat disease. The gospel has the power, Christ has the power to defeat death, but I think there's a bigger fish to fry. And I almost missed this connection, but I I don't want you to miss this because where this is going, it seems like, man, disease, death, that's got to be the the, the peak thing that the, the, the gospel defeats in people's lives. I think there's something bigger. It's going to take up a bigger chunk of this story. But in order to understand this story, we've got to introduce some people. So Let's introduce you to somebody else, into a city, Caesarea. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. And I'll put a map up here for you in just a second so you can see where Caesarea is at. at. Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Let's talk about Caneos for a moment. Centurion, Roman soldier. Most likely would have been over 100 men or so, somebody of importance. He probably would have made about five times as much pay as your typical soldier. So this guy is fairly well off, important to the society, important as a person. Part of the Italian cohort. He's not from around here. He's stationed, you might say, in Caesarea. But then we also hear these other things about him. He's a devout man, feared God. All of his household, he gave alms. There's three key elements to a good Jew. He's not a Jew, but there's three key elements to a good Jew. Uh, Two of those is, is prayer and giving of alms. Is it mentioned both of those things with him? Absolutely. That's important. He's a man who fears God. Now, this term, God-fearer, Luke uses quite often throughout the rest of the New Testament. And without boring you with... Remember my giant commentary? I had to do some digging. Uh, without boring you with all the, the details. This term does probably does not mean he was an actual proselyte. Do you know what I mean by that? He wasn't actually someone who had fully converted. So here you have on one end of the spectrum someone who is a Jew, born a Jew, right, Practicing Judaism. You have right here, you have there there are some Gentiles who we would call had converted to Judaism. In some senses, they were considered to be Jews. They converted to Judaism. They'd been, you know, men that have been circumcised. There's all sorts of things, and they're following all the law. But then right here on the edge, the fringe of this, there were also people that Luke calls, and you find other references of this in Greek literature. There are people that were called God-fearers. That's what he's called here. Did you see that? feared God. These people were people that hadn't converted fully, but there was a lot of aspects of Judaism that they were following. Pretty good guy. He was following the the right, the one, the true God. This is important. I think there's a couple reasons why this is important to understand this as we progress. Number one, there's a big a big biblical reason. Christianity is spreading to the rest of the world. I mentioned that already. Here's a guy who's, who's not converted. He's not in judaism at all he's not even on the the weird part the samaritans that the jews would have thought i mean he's like out there he's kind of headed that direction he's kind of close but he's out there and so so having the gospel bringing this guy into the story is is a key important element to understanding scripture i think there's a small biblical reason i think this might apply to you our society is full of people that i would say are kind of like cornelius here on the one hand, they, they, they would say they fear God. And there's aspects of the one true God that they, they're kind of going along with. They're giving of alms. That's like giving to the poor. They pray. In fact, they like to say it. Something happens where they say, our, our, our prayers are going to be with you. You ever heard that? We'll be praying for you. But they're not, they're not all in. It's important to see as we progress through this story that here you have this guy, and you, even though it says all these great things about him, you're going to see as the story progresses Cornelius still needs Jesus. He was devout feared God, gave alms. he's already topped out most of us Praised continually he just surpassed the, the vast majority of people in, in the good things that he's doing you're going to see in this story, he still needs Jesus. Keep that in mind. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Come here. So an angel, Hear this guy. An angel shows up. Do you think he's going to be full of feelings of warmth and calmness and peace as this angel shows up to him? What do you guys think? No. Uh, a lot of people, I hear people talk about, it. it's like, angel. when, when angels show up in the Bible, people are like falling on their face, scared to death. And that's exactly what you see with Cornelius. He stared at him in terror, as I think all of us would if an angel actually did appear to us. We'd be like, oh, I feel so comforted. We'd be like, Ugh. and said, what is it, Lord? As in, sir, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Joppa, by the sea. Simon the tanner, by the sea. A couple of important things here. Now, I hope you're getting the feeling of something building. you feel it building, we're getting to something big here. I hope so. Notice here, your your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Understand that for a Jew, now even though he was on the edge here, he wasn't full proselyte, for a Jew, Jews that couldn't make it back to Jerusalem and offer the sacrifices the right way, in the Old Testament you see them being able to offer up prayers and alms as a replacement or a substitute to being able to actually offer a sacrifice. And the Bible talks about those things as being acceptable to God. And that's what this is talking about here. It's just saying that God recognizes that you you've at least pointed your feet the right direction of the truth and how you ought to be. And so he, even though he hasn't been able to go to Jerusalem to offer up sacrifices, and he wouldn't have been allowed in to do that. What do you see here? He's offering prayers and alms, and it's and it's pointed out by this angel. You're doing the thing that God accepts as a replacement to being able to get to there and offer those sacrifices. But Cornelius, there's still something else. Need a, There's a guy in Joppa. He's got the good news for you. Go down and get him. He's staying with a guy named Simon, a tanner. He's by the sea. And the angel who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he's up in Caesarea. I'll show you a map in just a minute. He immediately obeys. But how will Peter respond? He's seen the gospel's defeat of disease. Right? Recently, Peter's been reminded Christ is powerful. He's seen the gospel's defeat of death. Powerful. But I think there's something else lurking that needs to be defeated. I think it's lurking in Peter's heart. So I want to put it this way The gospel of Jesus Christ defeats discrimination. There are plenty of laws about non Jews in the Old Testament. There were also plenty of laws about how they ought to treat foreigners who wanted to be part of Judaism. The truth of God was always meant to be spread throughout the globe. The Jews did not fulfill this portion. Since the resurrection of Christ, the command to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, but then to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, God has pushed the gospel to Samaria, but not initially by Peter. There's some stretch to non-Jews. We think of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. But again, not initially by Peter. That was what the command had been by Christ, wasn't it? To Peter. Peter's now venturing out. Once once again, I said I'm kind of happy for him. He's venturing out. Hey, Jerusalem, Lydda, Joppa, he's kind of up here hanging out. You go up the coast, there's a city. Caesarea. When you see the word Caesarea, what does that make you think of? Caesar. Right? Do you see that in the the name of it? Caesarea? You know what the Jews at this time period called Caesarea? They called it the daughter of Edom. The slang for Rome itself. The Jews hated Caesarea. It was considered to be a place of ungodliness. You you don't go to Caesarea unless you want to do the wrong sorts of things. Do you, know, you guys know Peter's given name before he was called Peter by Christ? I know you know part of it. What is it? Simon. You know his full name? Simon Bar- Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah means son of, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, not the actual Jonah. But I do think there's some irony here. You guys remember the story of Jonah? We, we studied him here. Remember Jonah? I hope that if you've been in children's Sunday school at any point in your life, you've heard the story of Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, go to Assyria, right? To the capital, Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't want to go because he hates those guys. They're evil. They're horrible. They don't, you know, what they do to people, God. They're they're wicked, wicked people. I would much rather they all died, God. There are enemies. They're trying to kill us sometimes. Why would you send me there to tell? And God I'm going to bring destruction. There's going to come judgment. And Jonah's probably thinking, good. That's exactly what they need. But what's he do? He says, go, go tell them. Warn them about the coming judgment. Jonah's like, this seems like a bad idea. This seems like a dumb idea, to be honest with you. So what's Jonah do? Instead of headed off to Nineveh, what's he do? Hops on a boat. Actually, not too far from probably this general area. He was probably up around here in this area right here, when he hopped on his boat. And so he hops on a boat in the Mediterranean Sea and sails away. I picture him on the front of the boat. <laughs> is God going to let him make it away? No. God is going to turn him around. You know, it takes Jonah three days in the belly of a what we think is probably a whale It's a big fish. Either way, ugh. To get his mind set straight. Peter's name, Simon, son of Jonah. I imagine might have a similar thought process to this. Caesarea. He's ventured out. He's doing pretty good. Good job, Peter. Made it to Joppa. Next big city up the coast. Caesarea. What's Peter doing? Hanging out with Simon the Tanner. Simon and Simon. Right? He didn't want to head any further, I don't think. Keep Jonah in mind as we talk about this next step. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So the guys from Caesarea... Cornelius, are headed down the coast to find Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner. Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house. He may be thinking already, he's kind of stretching himself a little bit. Simon, who's a Tanner, uh, would would have been perpetually unclean in a Jew's eyes because he would have been dealing with dead bodies. So Simon, you know, Barjona might have been thinking, man, I'm really stretching myself here, Lord. I'm I'm staying at the house of this guy. That's really pushing it. So he's up there, he goes up to the roof to pray about the sixth hour, following his routine. He's hungry, I get that. Wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So he's up there praying and he kind of zones out. Sees the heavens opened. This is weird. And something like a great sheet descending. It's a picture, I picture it like Four corners of it, right? Just a great sheets. Maybe it's it's pulled up at the top, but then as it, it sits, it kind of unfolds and opens up before him. And he was hungry anyway, and so he's looking at this, and so he's sitting there. And uh, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles, birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, I can't do this. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And Peter knows the law. He knows what he's supposed to eat and what he isn't. I've never done this. I I can't start now. The voice came to him again a second time. But God has made clean, do not call common. This happened how many times? Three days with Jonah in the belly of the whale? Oh, interesting. This thing was taken up again at once to heaven. By the way, I'm happy about this because now we can have shrimp and ham sandwiches. That's not really an important biblical concept. I'm just throwing that out there. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean behold the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon who was called Peter was lodging there so he's up there he's he's come out of this it's happened 3 times don't call common you know or unclean what i declare to be clean he's sitting there scratching his head probably still hungry Going, what does this mean? I don't get it. And while he's wondering about this, out at the gate, some guys show up from Cornelius and say, Hey, is yelling over the gate, is Simon who's called Peter, is he is that Simon here? And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation for I have sent them interesting isn't it now pause there for a minute a couple of things here like I told you first of all this is going to have to be a two-part because for me to get dig into the next section is, is huge and I can't get into all that but I think there's some things we can begin to learn right here first of all the gospels for everyone I think our church is pretty good at this church is pretty good at this. I don't think there's any limits as to who or what walks through our doors. I think everybody feels welcome. I hope so when they come into this church. Not true of all churches. Not true of all times. We've got a short little story I want to put up here real quick. Just I'm going to read this to you. Um, The story comes from a, a commentary on Acts by a guy named Hughes. He shares this. It says, Mahatma Gandhi shares in his autobiography, you guys all know who Gandhi is, right? Major religious leader in Hinduism. Mahatma Gandhi shares in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the Gospels and seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided the people of India. India has a caste system. Right? These people these people you're looked down on, these people are respected, right? very much like that. And in reading the gospel, could you understand why he might think that after reading the gospels? I mean, Jesus, who's he hanging out with? Jesus, God in the flesh, and who's he? He's sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners. I think somebody like Gandhi, who may have been uh, lived through that type of oppression that you see in India and the castes, and might have read the gospel and said, man, I like this Jesus. And in his autobiography, means this is the biography he wrote himself, right? considered becoming convert to Christianity. One Sunday, he attended church services and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines, but when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. If Christians have caste differences also, he said to himself, I might as well remain a Hindu. That's... Anybody, I, I'm glad I got some responses out of that. I read that, and I had the same response you did, like, oh my goodness. I I really, I don't think anything would ever happen like that at our church. I really don't. I don't want you to hear this and think that I'm saying, I think that something like this might happen here. I, I'm, I'm proud of Edgewood for being the kind of church that I think anybody in any way, shape, or form, when they walk in here, we're like, we're glad to have you. I think if, a guy named Gandhi would have showed up. If we didn't know who he was and he showed up, I think we would have said, come on in. I think if he would have come up to me and said, I need some help understanding this, I would have been like, absolutely. It's not always like that, though. I think the gospel in this passage has intercepted disease, it's intercepted death, and I think that Peter is on a collision course with intercepting his own discriminatory heart. And God is showing him, hey, when I say go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth, that's what I actually meant. Everybody. Everybody. There's not a person on this planet that the gospel isn't good for. Good for everyone. I want to come back to that thought in just a second. but I want to throw out two other things here as well. Because, we're, like I said, we're building into something even bigger. And so it's it's tough. I don't normally do two-part sermons like this, but... There's no way to really capture everything. So I want to leave you with just a few thoughts as we end, and I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger as to what's going to happen next, okay? So here you have Peter. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that an angel showed up to Cornelius. All he knows is what he's been shown at this point. But I think it's interesting that here you have in this story, God is preparing the heart of the recipient of the gospel already. Even though this guy is a God-fearer, he still needs Jesus, and God is working to bring Jesus to this guy. God is also working in the heart of the deliverer of the message, Peter, to be ready to share the gospel with Cornelius. I think there's something to say about all of that for all of us. Even though I think most of us would say, man, anybody could step in... I, I do think that some of us have struggled at different times in different ways to different levels when we go out into Danville and we see some of those Danville people, right? And there may be some that somewhere buried deep in our heart. There might be a little bit of that there. Not for them. And maybe today, God is speaking to you and saying, don't you call common or unclean what I've declared to be clean. Don't you do it. When you walk around this town, you encounter people, don't you dare. Curl the lip. Those are people that need the gospel. Those are people that need the gospel, just like you. You needed the gospel, and God may be today preparing your heart. Maybe even today, as we're talking, and God is preparing your heart, saying, "Man, this really is for everybody." There may be somebody out there. Maybe they're devout. Maybe they pray. Maybe they even give to the poor. They they do good deeds. You still need Jesus. Because good deeds doesn't get you to heaven. Praying all the time doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus saves people by his gospel. So maybe today, even today, there might be somebody that's sitting there and maybe God is starting to point that person in the direction and say, you know, I've seen what you're doing, but I'm going to cause someone to intercept your path this week. And that person might be you. And just like Cornelius and Peter are going to intercept, and this, this is a pivotal moment in scriptural history and the big picture, but also on the small picture, this is exactly, I think, what happens so often when people come to Christ. God is working, pushing, pulling, whatever it is, bringing them on a collision course. With someone who has the gospel like you, and you're on this, and, and you're going to intersect. They might seek you out like Cornelius. Maybe they don't. Maybe you just run into them. And a conversation sparks up. But you don't know when you leave this room. You don't know who God might be working and preparing and bringing to the gospel. And He wants to pull you into this path and bring you on this, this collision course to share the gospel with them so that even though they're devout and good, God fearing people, they need Jesus, and you might be the one that shares it with them. And maybe they've heard it a thousand times, but man, you cannot read the Bible. We're talking about this today and Sunday school. You can't read the Bible without seeing that there's a lot of times people hear, hear, and hear, and they don't get it. But God, at some point, opens the heart, opens the mind, opens the eyes, and God may use you to be that person that says it. This time, that you share the gospel, and maybe you fumble over your words, and maybe you stumble over how you say it, and maybe you, you walk away thinking, man, that was the dumbest way the gospel's ever been shared. But you, you do it. And that's the time that God opens the eyes because it really doesn't depend on you anyway. Keep that in mind as you go through this week. Who is God preparing you for? In the process of doing that, remember that God, and He can knock out disease anytime He wants. Whatever ailment you have, whatever physical problem you have, if God wanted to, for the purpose of the gospel, he could knock that out. Death might be looming. He's got that covered. He may not do it here. One day he will. But there might be a bigger fish to fry in your own heart right now. And maybe it's got revealed just enough today. Maybe as I was talking, you thought, "I've, I've thought that about people. I don't say the words, and I don't say it in my head, but there's some people I look at and I go, ugh. Maybe God peeled back a little bit of your heart. He wants to show you that the gospel that can defeat death, disease, it can also defeat that discrimination that's residing in your heart. Humble you. Bring you to a point of repentance. Where you walk out in this world just thinking, man, I'm just a beggar. Showing other beggars where there's bread all I am. I'm going to leave you on this cliffhanger. What's going to happen next? How's Peter going to respond? He's been shown the truth. Don't you do it, Peter. Don't call someone unclean who isn't. God declares clean. What are you going to do? I'm going to leave you hanging. Obviously, if you really want to know, you have the book. I hope you have the book. You can read it. You can find out what happens. That's okay. But for your sakes, I hope that you Keep this in mind as you go through your week. Who might God be orchestrating to intersect in my life to share the gospel with this week? I'm going to close in prayer, and when I do, I want to pray specifically for that. That if there are those orchestrations happening, and I believe they absolutely could be, and probably are, even right now, I'm going to pray that if those orchestrations are happening, that as you leave this building, that God will guide your steps And when the time comes, you'll know. You'll know. This has been planned by God, this meeting. And I would even suggest that you tell the person. You may sound crazy when you say it, but I would suggest that you even tell them, this is a divine encounter. I was praying. on My pastor prayed this last Sunday that I would run into somebody that's seeking something to do with Jesus, and you came to my path. I would suggest telling them. You're an answer to prayer. I was praying that I would run into you. I didn't even know you and I was praying I was running I would run into you this week. That might scare them away, but it might not. That might be the exact thing that they were hoping somebody would say. Let's pray.